Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. Yeah, we're recovering from the week at the Quebec Single Track Experience, which was a fantastic week. Yes, I feel like it sounds like I've been at like a World Cup and just screaming, but really it was just that at Quebec Single Track, I was doing a lot of teaching yoga and doing talks at night and stuff. So I'm a little still hoarse from that, but well worth it to get to hang out with so many awesome people, mm-hmm. see so many just, yeah, fun yeah. Fun racing, It fun was great, everything. and we had a bunch of consummate athlete podcast listeners and then also coaching clients there, so it was great sort of subgroup that we got to interact with and get to know better, so thank you to all of those folks for coming to the race. Yes, and of course, we were so excited to get to hang out with Leah Davison. We've had her on the podcast before, uh, multi-time Olympian, founder of Little Bellas, and just all around amazing human being. She crushed the women's race, um, and we were lucky enough to get to do a live podcast while this we were there first live podcast so bear with us but it's true uh, yeah. so there's some nuggets in there it was great just listening to leah a few times i was just sort of caught off guard just you know absorbing what she was saying uh, and then i was supposed to say stuff so uh bear with me as well as i absorb uh everything that was in this live q a oh you did great uh so leah eats a lot is her instagram handle if you want to check out her instagram Yes, and we will have to be doing some. She's challenged us to some snack off collaborations, so we'll we'll have to see what we can do with that. Okay, well, uh, sweet potato for the win, I yeah. guess. Yeah. But before we get into that, uh, the note of snacking has me thinking about bananas, which has me thinking about your sunglasses that you wore. That's for right. All I was wearing Gooder sunglasses, which is a podcast sponsor as well. Uh, we got a few of these before the race. Uh, pers- particularly for the race just so you know I, I had glasses for a couple different conditions uh and these are great you know they're affordable they're very clear lenses they're very good they're polarized uh they come in a variety of sizes you talk about the wide ones which yes there's, there's a name for this if folks with wide heads are looking for yeah. sunglasses what are they called and those of us with the big heads go for the bfg ones although even the cycling sunglasses are the uh the sides are so, so soft that they're actually really comfortable no matter what your head size is i actually really like the black mirrored cycling sunglasses you stole my white and pink ones that's right and have not given them back and now you have yellow so anyhow yeah it was a sort of stormy there was a bunch of floods and again the organizers did a great job at qsc with this but what i find with the yellow these are the banana glasses that i had yellow you know they're yellow frames we'll throw a link to them in the show notes too sure and so they were great and so they actually sort of brighten things up on sort of those gloomier days i think it helps you feel more positive uh, but it also, I think, also helps just with, you know, seeing things in sort of darker conditions. For sure, yeah. And right now, Consummate Athlete listeners can get free shipping in the U.S. If you head to gooder.com backslash consummate, that's G-O-O-D-R.com backslash consummate. And yeah, our favorite ones, definitely Peter loves the banana. I love the reflective cycling ones, but I also just like the very plain, like simple black ones. And I know Gooder has kind of the, the very colorful vibes in a lot of their branding, but they do have a lot of just like very simple black on black shades that i personally prefer so don't be stressed out by the all neon you can go that route but you can also go black so all right with that said let's get into this episode with leah davison enjoy excellent (laughs) if you're just joining us there are snacks in the back um all right so uh 
Peter and myself are here with the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We're here with multi-time Olympian, general all-around badass, Leah <laughs> Davison, who's also been on the podcast, I think, multiple times at yeah. this point. Yeah. <laughs> but is always one of my favorite guests. Okay, so I'm going to start this with like a pretty simple question. Yesterday, you and I were talking about recovery and how you didn't have all of your normal <laughs> gear with you. Um, so I think inquiring minds want to know what is your, like, what was your like normal recovery for a race like this? Like, you know, when you were, when you were racing, you know, a few years back versus yeah. what are you, what are you doing now to like hack it together <laughs> since you don't have your stuff? Yeah. So to provide some context, I um, retired from world cup racing after like a 20 year career at the end of 2021. And then last year was kind of an off ramp to my um, racing career. And I raced domestically. I tried some gravel. Then I decided not to race gravel. And this was like my first mountain bike race after that decision. So I love this race. This is why it's my only race this year um, that I'm doing. And I have a lot more going on this year. So it was a tight turnaround. I drove um, from Pennsylvania Saturday night. I commentated the U.S. National Championships mountain bike all day. Got home late, woke up, packed very quickly, too quickly, and then drove up here. So I would have normally packed um, like little massage balls. They're called tune-up balls um, in case I get like some tight knots. A golf ball to massage my arches. Um, a Compex, which is a muscle stimulator, so they have like recovery modes, and probably probably my Normatex as well. So this is, this week is an experiment for me of throw. I know everything I need to do to go fast. Like I've been doing it for the past twenty years to arrive at a race like this and be very prepared and. I just threw everything out the window and I'm not doing any of it. So how will this go? We well, will how, see. How are you feeling after two stages? I'm feeling pretty good, actually. I uh, Yesterday was a big opener because I had been driving for two days, so I didn't get to ride. And uh, I felt way better today. Like the legs. I think I will be riding myself into this race. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, when, you're, when you are doing these drives, like, do you do anything in particular? Do you stop regularly and move around? Or is this like still a learning experience for you? <laughs> no, I make sure to like drink enough water and stop and walk around like every two hours because my dad got a blood clot yeah driving back from unbound last year so we are he's okay but we're not messing with that and yeah. this is why you don't like gravel yeah exactly <laughs> the whole family is allergic to gravel Just done done um actually can we talk about that decision like yeah. the just being like this isn't fun why am i doing this yeah like, talk about that. Yeah, so I um, signed up at the beginning of last year for the Lifetime Grand Prix, which is like a combo of mountain bike races, gravel races in the States. And I thought like, oh yeah, this is great. I love bike racing. I love all forms of bike racing. So this will be fun. And it turns out the one thing I learned is I do not like all forms of bike racing. I like mountain biking. So I um, came from a very structured... Uh, racing environment, very controlled, very safe, mountain bike world cups, 
closed courses. Uh, if you get injured, you know, there's an ambulance right there at the bottom of the course. Uh, there's a helicopter if you need it. You know, it's it's very controlled. So I could, I'm used to pushing myself um, to the max in very controlled environments. And then gravel doesn't have that, like at all. It's the wild west of bike racing. So I was shocked and appalled really. And, and I think it, I still think it's very dangerous. I mean, um, the roads are open. Uh, the pro women's field started with the, with everybody else, which is part of the magic of gravel, but it really puts the pro women at a disadvantage. I mean, in, uh, at the beginning of Unbound, there was like half of the pro women's field was taken out in crashes, like mm -hmm. in including me. So, um, yeah, I wasn't digging it. So I, I kind of, I dropped out of lifetime Grand Prix, which is a big decision for me. I don't quit things i never give up and i made a statement of like hey this is why i'm doing it like i this is not safe things need to change yeah no i love that and i think that is really important we're learning more and more with gravel as it gets bigger that yeah we need some kind of regulations or whether it's sanctioning or not there yeah. needs to be something in place to keep riders protected for sure also i love the idea of mountain bike world cups as being like safe and controlled places <laughs> where it's like completely regular no worries whatsoever and then we're all thinking of like you know the 15 crashes and like yeah. and drops <laughs> yeah yeah, and yeah. Pullovers. yeah no big deal no big deal <laughs> um, on the note of world cup racing though i did want to ask about like how that I don't want to say how it compares to QSE, but how you approach mm. a World Cup versus a race like this. And not just talk, I do want to talk about the like when you don't know what the lines are going to be because you yeah. haven't gotten to pre-ride, but also like even the mentality of it. Like, how do you go in and how was it like, how is it like finding fun racing when you're so used to like, I'm going to murder you to get the wheel ahead, <laughs> like get out of my way. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, racing is racing. So if there's a start and finish line, um, I'm competitive no matter what. Obviously, World Cups, yeah, it's a different scene, different approach for sure. Because it's you got one shot, you spend the whole week preparing for like this one moment, this one race. And uh, I love QSA because the camaraderie like the vibe here is so great it's a nice mixture of um you can race if you want to race and you can just ride and get to experience like all these incredible single track centers and it's just so gorgeous up here so um the pressure is off a little bit more it's way more fun uh i had to remind myself yesterday like oh i'm being way too intense about this <laughs> like this is supposed to be fun Leah so like start to have fun so I like smiled and I was like oh yeah this is wicked like this is awesome so and it's it's definitely a more um, measured approach to racing I mean you both probably talked about this yesterday in terms of like pacing I mean you have to race and ride these stages day in and day out so um, I'm not attacking these courses at this with the same vigor that I would an, a 90 minute world cup race for sure. And then what about the riding at blind? Cause that's a yes. totally different situation. Yeah. That's a huge factor in stage racing because in world cups, we get to sort out the lines. We session sections all the time. And so I definitely take it down 
a lot on the descents. Like these races aren't won on the descents, but they can surely be lost, you know, and it can, it can ruin a really fun week. So, um, yeah, it's nice to follow somebody, you know, and when I'm following somebody, I give them a couple bike links just so I can like see my own line and see where they went. And maybe I'm going to take a dip, try a different line. Um, but I definitely take it more cautiously. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, okay. And I'm going to give this mic to Peter to answer this question as well. But so tomorrow the signage is going to be a little wacky because we have like two separate sets of signs on the course. Like talk to me. Is that true? That is true. Weren't you paying attention at the briefing? I think I missed that one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So there's a second course marked those color. Okay. Everybody skill testing question. What color are the signs that we're following? So the pink signs are the oh. ones we're following. Okay, this is so, good to know. I missed this. Okay, so now you're ready for tomorrow. <laughs> okay, great. Um, we've got the, the race briefing has happened. Um, I'm glad I came to my own talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so if you have, like, just a lot going on yeah. visually on the course, how do you just focus on the stuff that you need to focus on mm. to do you know, to go where you need to go or see what you need to see. And this could be even just features as well. This isn't just our, our rose colored signs, the rose color, the (laughs) rose color, Leah. Good to know. Good to know. Um, yeah, I can take a stab at it first. I like in stage racing, it's so important to read the signs and it's, it's everything. Cause you could take a wrong turn and you lose like a minute, five minutes, like very quickly. So at each intersection and it's super hard to do cross-eyed. I mean, I went the wrong way today. Luckily it's taped. And yesterday I went the wrong way two times. Like, so I took the wrong turn and cause I'm like, so max, like I'm on the limit. And luckily you have friends around you. Like we're all friendly. So someone uh, behind me was like, no, no, we go this way. And oh, thank goodness, you know? And so we're all just kind of trying to figure it out together. But I try to see straight (laughs) when I'm like coming up to the intersections to really focus on the rose colored signs. (laughs) Yes, yes. Okay. And then what about features? Yeah, features. I, um... You know, today I went flying into the B line before I realized there was an A line. And I was kind of bummed about that because I have not yet ridden that A line. It was the same thing in last year's course, but okay, it's fine. Um, Same thing, like I tried to kind of break check before features. And I also trust that like we are at trail centers. And so... Um, they know how to build trails and build features. So if if it was a huge drop after like a blind rollover, we would have known about it, you know, because they would have prepped us at the beginning of the stage or at the stage briefing. So um, you can also trust the trail builders here on these courses. Yeah, for sure. All right, Peter, any thoughts for tomorrow for following the course? Yeah, I think so. Is volume okay for everyone? They can hear? Yeah, okay, because we're not using the other mic, but perfect. Um, I think with the arrows, it's definitely, I try and think like what's next is sort of a a mantra, I guess, that I use when we're racing. So in a World Cup, or for me, more of a Canada Cup, uh, would be, you know, thinking about the next section, which we've maybe remembered. But in this scenario, it would be more just queuing to like look ahead. And then also just as you get to the junctions, really thinking like not rushing to make the junction. 
Um, one thing, and I know Leah, you were in a group a lot of the day or yeah. with people and you're good at doing that and sticking with people, but it, it definitely helps either you get, they help you, but you also, we were talking earlier about following someone can also be really good because you can watch them make the mistake and then just make the correct yeah. answer, right? Or you just follow them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Do you have any tips? Like, how do you, I, I don't know if you can answer this question, but following people is tricky for a lot of, of folks. Do you have any tips for that? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, on the techie sections, not so much the climbs, but like on the descents, I definitely give like a bike length or two. So I know I'm not like right on them. So I can make those adjustments where need be. I think that's some of the most fun a part of mountain biking because it's like it get it can get creative right i'm like well i got a better line than you mm-hmm. like there and oh that's cool i shouldn't have taken that line you know so it's like constantly in negotiation and um yeah today i was with uh the duo like the winning duo who i ended up racing because i'm competitive <laughs> so i'm now competing in the duo category <laughs> they won today <laughs> and you said you you had actually passed them towards yes. the end and then they actually got you back totally so i don't know the trails these are their home trails like that we rode today and I thought like I was looking around and I could sense that the start, the start finish was like down there. So I thought, okay, we're almost there. Right. So I attack them on like the double track where I could get around. And then it turns out we were not almost there. <laughs> so then they countered me and they got ahead of me, like going into that, like the tight pump tracks and stuff. So it was a really fun battle. Yeah, it was awesome. It's impressive. They got both of them by you. I know. Yeah. They were speaking in French. I don't speak French. So like there was for sure some scheming okay. going on. <laughs> and was it from like both sides? They like took you? No, or she like-, like took the lead because apparently we're racing really. Like the Caroline and not Caroline and I. I. See. Yeah. And then he like followed but I was following his wheel up the climbs and it was nice like you can tell when you have someone that a knows the trails so he and he held a really nice pace like he's experienced and so I was like oh this is cool and it's also if you are racing like it's helpful to follow sometimes because I'm analyzing like okay I'm stronger in this section they maybe go faster in this section. So for the next days when I'm racing in the duo category, I'm taking notes. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And even on the, I guess in the stage too, you might notice yeah. on the climb or the descent or something more general too. Yeah. Okay. Was that the questions I think? <laughs> the signs. Yeah. I think that's probably it. Yeah. I don't have any other tips on the, <laughs> on the obstacles. All right. Coming back to kind of the more, overarching view of racing we had a listener question or audience question <laughs> nice. um, i love it I, this is a really good one actually and it was about choosing your support team oh. so i really want to talk about sort of like then and now because obviously you know now you still have a support team like yeah. in place but so kind of give me the like super pro version and then the the now version yeah the whoever asked this question very wise i mean it takes a village to get an athlete to any type of race, right? And especially at the Olympic level. And it's a it's a it's a kind of guess and check uh, process. I mean, especially with body workers. I have like a whole body work team behind me to keep me going. Massage therapist, um, a chiro- a really good chiropractor, 
Um, I've had a, I mean, all cranial sacral work. Like you forgot to pack them too. No. Well, ideally, I would pack all of them with me all the time. Get in the car. We're going to QSE. <laughs> and to find them, I would. It's it's just helpful to ask like other local athletes and and pros in the area, and you just kind of like you know, whittle it down, whittle down the list. And then once you have someone good, like you appreciate them and you stick with them. So like that's, you know, I tip my massage therapist and I also write handwritten thank you notes at the end of each season, you know, to all my sponsors, to my supporters. Um, Yeah. So it's really important also like, so that's kind of the body work side, but then uh, there's an emotional support squad. And I always say there's about, uh, you can name five people or people on one hand that will truly support your goals when you tell them. So, you know, if I were to go up to somebody like a friend and I say, yeah, I want to win an Olympic gold, like a lot of people will put their own stuff on that, right? Say, you can't do that. Or that's so crazy, you know? And this, this goes for all goals. So I am really careful of who I tell my true goals to and like carefully picking those people. So, you know, it's my wife, it's my family. It's like my, my best friends who I know are going to support me wholeheartedly and won't put any like limits on me. I love that. And I mean, it, it might not even be people that are saying, you can't do that. That's yeah. like, but you can tell they're thinking it. It's yeah. like a certain mentality that you can sort of sense. Yeah. So I, lo- I love that. I love that. Um, okay. Mentally coming back from a bad day. That's something that, you know, Oof. a lot of us have had. Uh, and stage racing, that is a very serious issue, um, <laughs> yes. especially if it's, you know, day one. So, I mean, you must have had to deal with this so many times over the years. How do you get back out there? And, you know, with mountain biking in the past few years, short track and then cross yeah. country. Like, it's it's not a stage race, but it is back-to-back racing. So yeah. how, do you, how do you get out of that? Yeah, it's that is a great question. Um, I think it's good to focus on, like, opportunities. So, okay, I had a bad day today. I'm going to have another opportunity tomorrow to switch it around. And bike racing, like, switches like that. I mean, you can really have a bad day one day and then win the next day. And so you never know what's going to happen. So I just, I center around, like, uh, giving it my best effort. Like, that's, because you can't control, really, I mean, you can do a lot to to show up with good legs, but you can't, you know, control it to the nth degree. Right. And you definitely can't control the results and how, how everyone else is going to ride. And so, uh, that has always been my main focus. And what I kind of like center around is I'm going to go out there and give it my best effort. And I'm surely going to learn something like, even if I'm having a bad day, and I'm not injured, I haven't crashed or like hit my head, then I would drop out. But I always finish races because I will always learn something from that day. Yeah, I love that. Now, during a race, even thinking back towards World Cup, how how much are you paying attention to the people around you Mm. other than like tactically, like obviously tactically, like drafting this person, we kind of already talked about that, but more like, where are they on the course? And like, how far ahead are they? Do you really, are you thinking about that? Or are you just 
my race. Yeah, that is, that's such a, it's a combo of both. I mean, another great question. I think that's why there's a thing called, like there's something called beginner's luck because someone like bursts onto the scene and they have no idea where they stand and no expectation. And so it really frees them up to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to ride up here and I'm going to ride and I'm going to do this. Whereas when you've been on on the same circuit, like for a number of years, everyone has an idea of like, I should be up there. I should be with this person. I shouldn't be back here, you know, and it's, it's very limiting to have kind of that on. So, um, yeah, I try to always bring it back to me because it's inevitable. Everyone does it. Even the best racers, like, uh, the doubt creeps in, you tune into the negativity channel. It's your body trying to say, uh, we're going a little bit hard. Don't die. You know, like it's trying to keep you alive. And to tune that out, I, I don't battle with it. I just say, okay, like here comes the negative thoughts. And I use it as a reminder to focus on an action that I've picked like before the race. So like it could be relax, take a deep breath. Um, when I start to get into like, oh my gosh, like I can't hang on to this person's wheel or I'm not going to make it to the finish line or I'm feeling awful. I'm like, okay, just take it, take it to the now, you know, bring it to the present. So I think it is mostly like an internal race. I mean, mountain bike racing is really, we're all on a time trial, yeah, yeah. like going as hard as we can. For sure. Uh, Peter, I did actually want to ask you, like, especially with helping your clients get through when they have like the bad day on the bike, mm. how do you get them sort of back in the game? I mean, let's be clear, all the consummate athlete people who are here are doing amazingly, <laughs> but like in general. Yeah, it's interesting. I love the expectations thing because it is very hard, especially as you get experienced, right? Like yeah. this experience is very beneficial when you're doing these things, but then it also can be a curse. Uh, I don't know anyone here is like a returning QSE person. And I've certainly seen it with big races like Leadville that are even more of like an individual thing. Now you have a, n- a time people go, they get under 12 hours at Leadville and then they come back and they have to do nine or something, right? Which mm-hmm. nine is a pretty big accomplishment, but they want to do better. And then you'll see them, they're having an otherwise good day. Like I think finishing Leadville's a, in any time, just getting in under 12 is great. But yeah, I've you know I've seen people, they drop out. You know, they would have gotten maybe like an 11 or something. And it's like, you know, probably a good day would have been 10, maybe 10, 15. And, you know, something happens. It's like, it's a lot to go there and do these things. Right. And so they quit just because of that target, that expectation. Right. So it was their past self, uh, which is sort of like in a World Cup or something where, you know, it's that person I always race. Right. And they're ahead of me. So I suck. It's like you probably were having your best day. (laughs) Right. So uh, I guess to your question then. I think it is coming back to like looking at it because a lot of times I think actually the day actually after we get out of the race, often it actually is not a bad day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's even like a really good day. If we have power or something like that, you can be like, yeah, it actually was like a, like probably the best you could have done. But then the, you know, the, everyone else was really fast or the weather was, you know, whatever, right? You had a mechanical, whatever, you crashed. But then it was otherwise like you did everything you could. So a lot of times afterwards, things aren't as bad as they seem. I think even weather, we learned that in this last couple of days, right? Like it was really, really horrible overnight. And then like it actually was okay. And I said that to a few people like Quebec's often like that where it's 
it rains a lot here, right? And you're maybe not used to that where you're from. So I don't know. I've just always taken that approach where, you know, it's often not as bad after the fact. Uh, It's often not as bad during as well as we think it is in the morning when the rain's coming down. But yeah, I think that's, that's the idea is to sort of get through it. Leah said, you know, you always finish and then we can assess it. So trying to bring it back to the moment and not judging it. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Leah, last night we talked about big mistakes that uh, stage racers have tended to make. Uh, I kind of want to hear, have there been, like, looking back, and I mean, obviously we kind of have a bit of a caveat that, like, sometimes the science wasn't there when it came to, like, fueling or training. But, like, looking back at your training, like, either way back or, heck, like, last week or something, like, (laughs) what are some of, like, the, the big we'll call them lessons, not mistakes, yeah. uh, that you've learned, especially around fueling, because that was where a lot of our questions came yesterday. Yeah, that's, um, I have learned a lot over over 20 years, and uh, fueling is a, is a big lesson that I've learned just in the past five years. So- Literally, fueling is the lesson. Yeah, <laughs> like- totally. I mean, I um, would wake up every night starving, and I, I eat a lot. I mean, that is my Instagram handle. <laughs> Leah eats a lot. Go follow her. <laughs> yeah. Subtle plug. Um, and I would wake up every night and need a snack to go back to sleep because I was not able to get enough carbs on the bike, like during these major training sessions. And so I that's something I worked a lot on with my nutritionist and kind of like the balance between getting enough carbs, but then also getting enough liquid. So I was getting like 50 to 70 grams of carb per hour. And I could only get that in by using some a high carb drink mix. I was using Scratch Lab Super Fuel because you can't eat that much on the bike, especially mountain biking. I mean, we're like navigating so much. So it's very, it, I found it very helpful to have it in my bottle. Um, so I, I got that down and I started to feel awesome. And I like wasn't having to wake up at night and eat a snack. And then um, I learned that my balance was off. Like I'm a very heavy sweater. And so I would like get too, when you get too much carbs in your gut, you have gut drop, which I think you can all infer what that is. It's not pleasant. Not like great. Major, yeah, major stomach cramps. Like I would finish these races and I would be suffering. Like just like laying down and like um, having to find the bathroom. And so, yeah, then we figured out, actually we did some sweat testing at last year's QSE. So I would like weigh myself before the stage in like a dry kit. And then after the stage, I would weigh myself like right before the stage. I brought my scale to like the Mount St. Anne parking lot. And what we learned is I sweat a ton. So what I needed to do is like pretty much fill for the longer stages, pretty much fill my camelback with water. And that was it. And then also be getting that carbs, but like be getting more water in so I wouldn't have this gut drop. So that, yeah, that was a huge lesson for sure in these longer races. And I love that you said that because that's something that anyone can do, that kind of testing. Like this is not like, oh, I have to go to a lab and I have to get Mm -hmm. XYZ gear. Like this is pretty simple to kind of figure out. Totally. Yeah. I love that. I love that 
I mean, it's it's hilarious that it took that long to dial that in. You're like, okay, I'm done with my like mostly pro career. Uh, now it's the time to figure out this whole nutrition thing. Yeah. Um, well, it became it rose to the surface because I was doing longer races, so I the fueling was even more important. I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have a couple of rapid fires, but first I wanted to also ask: Does anyone out here have any questions? I know a lot of you got to ask questions yesterday, but throw it to you. Yes. Hmm. that competitive nature that drove you to your career or was it like was that sort of a gradual thing of like oh I'll do this next thing and it just kept <laughs> getting bigger and bigger as a Ooh, okay. So the question yeah, uh, yeah, for, for the listeners um, <laughs> is, uh, did Leah start out competitive or did the competitive urge sort of grow as the yeah. years went on? Uh, I, I think my mom is an incredibly competitive person. I have a sister and she would always kind of like set up these games for us. So like I have a very vivid memories of, um, husking corn, like for in the summer and we would, it would be a race. And so we would run to the compost, husking the corn, throw it in the compost, run back, get the next year. So I think we were always competing and that was a very fun thing to do. And then as I kind of got older, I, um, people know yesterday that came to the talk, I grew up downhill ski racing at, at this ski area in Vermont called Cochrane Ski Area. And the Cochrane family is like this legendary Olympic family. And so our coaches, like, was she was Olympic gold medalist, Barbara Ann Cochrane, or she is an Olympic gold medalist. So um, growing up around Olympians, I think, uh, planted that seed for that dream and made it probably more attainable than most kids, like just watching it on TV. I'm like, yeah, I know an Olympian and they went to the Olympics. So yeah, that's kind of when that seed was planted and I wanted to go to the Olympics. I just didn't know. I thought it was going to be in ski racing, but it definitely wasn't. I mean, I was good at a collegiate level, but not like anywhere close to Olympic level. And then I, I was running cross country and I was downhill ski racing in college, which is a really weird combo. And then I discovered uh, mountain bike racing, like my for pretty much my last year in high school. So going into college and it like merged the two sports. So it was almost like I've been training for mountain bike racing without mountain biking um, my whole life. And as soon as I found out, like I call, I did a junior race at Mount Snow in Vermont. I USA Cycling came up to me and said, "Hey, you've qualified for the Olympics. You won this race. I mean, not the Olympics. Excuse me, world champ. <laughs> so easy, ever. so easy at 18 to qualify. <laughs> Sorry, my beginner's goodness. Luck. Um, yeah, beginner's <laughs> luck. <laughs> world championships. Excuse me, uh, junior world championships in Vail, and I was like oh my goodness, there's a world champs for this. You can, you can do this as a profession. There's, it's an Olympic sport. Like this is it. I'm doing it. Like I was at 18, like this is what I'm doing. This is my, this is how I'm going to make it to the Olympics. 
did you ever have to like temper your competitiveness? Like, did you have, because I mean, you are like the sunniest, happiest person, even on the start line, you're like talking, you're <laughs> laughing, you're smiling. Is there like deep down this like raging monster that's just like, you're just like holding down? <laughs> like, I wish we could bring up the cover. I mean, if you should, you should check out the cover of Mountain Flyer because that is a fierce, terrifying photo of me in the middle of a World Cup short track, like last lap, just like digging very deep. Um, I think it's possible for both to exist. I mean, I really do. You don't need to be mean if you're competitive. You can be very competitive and be supportive of others at the same time. I love that. Yeah, my, my coach, David Roche, often talks about like the negative self-talk might feel like it's like fueling you, but really it's actually like the positive yeah. self-talk and like the love that fuel you even when you are at your most competitive, like going for it. Exactly. Yeah. So he was just asking uh, with all of the training tech and all of these tools is the like while we've like kind of dialed in the physical is the mental actually becoming the thing? Yes. Uh, the answer is yes, I think. I mean, once you get to a certain level in sport, like this this highest level, I always think no matter what sport it is, no matter what time, like the mental is the differentiator. And now we have so much data and tools that can be mostly like very helpful. And I've never thought it in the in the aspect of leveling the playing field. I love that. Um, I got to think about that more. Maybe, Peter, you have like a, a opinion on that. Um, but yeah, I really think it comes down to this like mental, uh, your approach and also um, like you're in a sport like mountain bike racing, resilience. Because you're going to crash. Uh, you're going to get injured. How are you going? You're going to have bad seasons. Like, how do you come back from that? Yeah. And, oh, that's what else I was going to say. I think the technology can be a limiter. I've seen it limit a lot of these younger riders. They just stare at the computer. And, like, probably the most often advice I give out is tape over the power meter during a World Cup, do not look at it. Because they look down, I mean, if I were to look down at my numbers during a World Cup, I would think I was going to die. <laughs> I mean, I've like, my highest heart rate that I've spiked was 205 in a World Cup. And if I'm looking down and seeing that, first off, I'm not focused on the course and navigating these things, and I think I'm not gonna make it. So um, I think it's a very helpful training tool, but in the right scenarios. Really nice that because you guys we talked about it last night, uh, so it combines. Oh, cool! Exactly yeah. That. I was saying I really hate data. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm a feelings girl for sure. Exactly. I use data, but <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Peter, did you have anything you wanted to add about the do mental think, side? Yeah, do you think it's leveling the playing field? I don't know. That's like a tricky question for sure. Uh, like it, it's one of those questions where like are people running or biking faster than we used to given technology or like has the technology like 29 inch wheels and full suspension? Are we just going faster than the people did when they had rigid bikes in 26? Like, I don't know. Those people were pretty hard. And, and like the glory days of mountain bike, there were a lot of people racing yeah. too. So it, it's a tricky question to say, like, is there more people in that top one percent of one percent racing mountain bikes i don't know i know that in the women's field the world cup women's field is 
so competitive. Like mm-hmm. anyone for sure in the top 10 can win a World Cup and anyone in the top 20 can definitely be on the podium. So, Here's a question for the crowd. Who watches the World Cups? Hands up. Oh, like on Red Bull or what's the new one? GCN? Yeah, GCN. Okay, awesome. hand, No, keep your hands up. And then who only watches women's? <laughs> so put your hands down if you watch both races. Oh, okay. But, but. Yeah, okay. Yeah. If you were time limited, would you be disappointed? Yeah. <laughs> so I think women's race, I, I agree. And I was going to go that I think the psychological is a big piece. I think that's always been, but we're probably understanding it more and more people mm-hmm. have access to it. So I think that's a great point and probably more people are using it at that level. Yeah. And then probably that I was going to say the societal uh, especially in the women's yeah. is, is a big deal. There's just more countries pushing like yes. Canada and the U S have always been pretty supportive of that. But now we have more countries doing, putting a lot of support or equal support and uh, more women on bikes. Yeah. And at a young age. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. I, I tend to think that it's more from those things than the technology, but mm. I, I don't know. Yeah. We're going to have to debate this like yeah. leveling For of the, the rest playing of the field. Week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Okay, well, on the note of getting more girls on bikes, this is a thing that's very important to both of us. Yeah. Me with Tread Girls, you with Little Bellas. So quickly, give us the give us the quick hit on what Little Bellas is and what's, what's going on with it. Yeah, we started, Little Bellas is an all-girls mentoring on mountain bikes program that started in Vermont uh, in 2007 and has since grown to be a national program with, um, with chapters all over the states. If there's a person that wants to start a Little Bells chapter, great, we make it easy for them. So we're centrally supported, we're based out of Vermont and we have training, we have insurance, we have, so we just make it easy for these women who want to get more girls on bikes and start a program. I love it. I love it. Especially actually the insurance is a huge thing. Yes. Like the training and the insurance, there's literally no other like <laughs> mountain biking body that's doing that. Yes. <laughs> and that's, that's incredible. Um, any, any like special stuff coming up or just uh, business yeah. as usual? Yeah, we have been um, actually before the pandemic, we set it as a priority for our organization uh, to do what we call access programs. So bringing mountain biking to these places that don't, you know, where girls wouldn't typically get um, the opportunity to ride a mountain bike. So we've changed our curriculum around, experimented with like hard surfaces curriculum. And um, we have, I believe, four access programs in the States right now. And one is being started in the Navajo Nation, actually. Um, yeah, in the Southwest. So that's very exciting. Oh, so cool. That's yeah. awesome. Okay. How do people find out more about Little Bellas? Yeah, littlebellas.com or you can uh, follow us on on Instagram, it's little Bella's MTB. Perfect. Okay, two rapid fire questions before we wrap up here. First one, we've had two 16 kilometer days, which mm-hmm. obviously we had to shorten because of the rain. Tomorrow's gonna be another 16 kilometer day. Um, any tips for, I think like the, the pacing element of this is getting really interesting. Yes. Um, tips for, yeah, I mean, pushing hard on that third day of racing after two short days, because it's, it's a totally different ball game. And, in some ways, I'm going to argue shorter is always harder to me. Yeah. Like, I find this way harder. I, yeah. <laughs> it's it's definitely a higher pace. I think Peter should be the first one okay, to answer Peter. that one. 
Yeah, I mean, it's so again, it's one of your depends questions, right? Because some of us are here riding, and so it probably doesn't change the pacing of the day a ton. You're riding at your enjoyable, you know, talk test, you know, pace where you can talk to each other and have fun and enjoy the descents. So probably for those folks, it doesn't change things a lot. Those who are racing, you know, I, I think you're going to pace for the day, I think, still, um, because there's always time on the day. So it's tough, right? Like, I think you're not racing as Leah said, and we talked about yesterday as well. You're probably still eliminating a bit on the climbs versus if we knew today was the only race today was the one to mm -hmm. finish today was the world championship. You would definitely, all of us would push harder. Even the ride people would push harder if they knew. So I, I think careful on the climbs still where I think about s sitting a bit more. I climb standing a lot. So I try and just sit and spin and sit and spin a bit more when mm -hmm. I can. Um, but yeah, I think with the shorter stage, you're going to go harder and that's okay. We have now, you know, instead of doing a three hour stage, we now have an extra two hours to recover. Um, so there's that. So I don't know. I think you're going to go harder. <laughs> just sort of the way it is. I don't know if there's anything else. Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. think I have anything to add. Yeah. Yeah. Going that's harder. the tricky thing with mountain bike <laughs> stage races, right? Is like, it's always like really hard. If you're racing, yeah. like, it's just like, you feel very tired at the end of totally. the stage <laughs> and no you're like, I don't long. know how, yeah. How are you going to start tomorrow? I have no idea. Yeah. And yeah. then you wake up and you're groggy and you start. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you chug a Red Bull and then you go. <laughs> the tactics are tough. Like, I don't know. Have you had ones where you're like in a tight duel yet? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. In the past for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cause you said you did LaRuta and stuff too. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very tricky because like any of these stages, if you are racing again, this is for folks racing, like I don't want to push anyone into racing, but the, when you're racing someone, even if it's in the middle and you're, you know, everyone starts comparing their times, it's sort of like, even in these short stages, if you can gain minutes, yeah. like minutes or minutes, right? So when you get that opportunity, you sort of like need to take it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 If you're feeling good, cause everyone has one day in a bad mm. in one bad day in a stage race yeah and you're probably doing well if it's one right yeah like, yeah yeah exactly. like, that's a great stage race if you so get it's, through yeah expect that and then on the better days you kind of have to go for it more like if you're feeling good you go for it yeah perfect great answer a question now, adding on to that how does your pacing change in a race that you're riding blind versus one that you've pre-written mm. we really know the course yeah i go for it on the climbs like way more. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to push it on the climbs and then I'm going to take it easier on the descents because I don't want to get hurt. Yeah. Do you ever measure like you, you, but you're pacing on the climbs. What do, what do you mean by that? Um, in terms of like, I mean, I'm going to stand up, like burn more, take more risks, mm. I think in terms of pacing the climbs and going harder on the climbs because I think that's where the difference is made. Mm. And then I don't want to take the risks on the descents. Sure. And it's also an opportunity to recover on descents. Yes, right? exactly. In a World Cup, it's always the tricky bit because yeah. you're like still pinned at yes. the bottom of the climb. I don't know. Have you ever done testing? This is, I'm sorry, I'm taking this <laughs> podcast over. Uh, have you ever done like testing of any type, like at the bottoms of the descents, like to see recovery or anything like that? Did you ever get any deep on that stuff? Um, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think that is mountain bike. That's like the essence of successful mountain bike racing is how quick you can recover. Mm -hmm. Like, and can you recover on the descents or can you recover a little bit on the top or not be as gassed on the top of a climb to navigate a descent. So it's all about recovery really. Yeah. yeah. 
Like, yeah. can you take that extra three deep breaths, bring down the heart rate, like even two beats, like that makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Did that answer Andrew's question? Okay. <laughs> Last question. Sorry, guys, I have to ask. Tire pressure, how do you oh. select it for all of these different stages? especially with all of the different weather. Yeah, this is also on the World Cup circuit, like talk about tires, selection and tire pressure the most. Like if my wife has to hear another conversation <laughs> about tires, she's like, oh my God. We were talking- I would get along so well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we were reflecting on like my career and and the other day and how I would approach things and she's like the what you were so decisive on everything except for tire selection like you would just waver wildly and ask everybody else and everything so it's a hot button topic um it depends on the conditions but like the wet slippery roots rocks um, I weigh 130 and I was running, I run less in the front, more in the back. Cause like the rear wheel gets more in harder impact. Um, I have stands, tubeless tires. I'm running Kenda, um, boosters, which is kind of like a mid range. It has tread. It's not a mud tire. It's kind of a good all arounder. And I'm running 16 and a half PSI in the front and 17 and a half PSI in the rear. Yeah, so low. Do you, do you have a ring protection? No, no inserts. Okay. <laughs> You're good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so do we can make this like this is the answer. This won't even be a depend. So I ran the exact same pressure as Leah today. No way. Um, oh, I got to drop mine. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, but but I run inserts. Oh, um, okay. In both wheels. That makes a difference. Um, yeah. So there you go. Everyone so 16, should run 16, that, 17. Run that's that the pressure. answer. Molly can write this in her article. 16 and 17 PSI. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. There you go. What size tires are you running? I have 2.2 uh, and they're really? Bontrager XR2s. Yeah. Uh, so I'm running 2.4s. Oh, yeah. Okay. There you go. The sisterhood of the traveling. It's everyone. No matter what tires you're running or what's in them. <laughs> so yeah i would say in a lot of clients you know when they ask on race day i'm always like okay but take notes of what you ran today yes. and then you know this is a very personal thing i don't always run 1670 it does depend a bit on the course and this is where pre-riding can help or at least knowing here's very rocky where i'm from is super sandy and you'll yeah. never so i can run even lower yeah uh if i wanted to and so it does depend a bit and then leah said you know there's obviously your size is gonna you know i have 10 year old girls that can probably run like 11 psi or something <laughs> yeah. without inserts and they'll never hit the rim uh and then riding style like if you're a junior uh usually <laughs> leah said it um that then for sure like they're just blow their rims all the time so <laughs> inserts and higher pressure <laughs> on the rear wheel for sure uh just so mom and dad don't have to buy wheels right yeah. so there's that so it, it, it does depend but I think if what's our usual rule of thumb is like if you have tubeless tires, a lot of people end up, it seems like now with the bigger tires, like 18 to 25 is probably a range to work in. And we try and encourage people to get a digital pressure gauge yes, uh, and start taking notes of like on the ride, I would, you know, didn't ding my rim and I didn't yeah. peel my tire. It's sort of like, what was my rule yesterday it was vomiting and bonking it, somewhere in between. <laughs> like you can't hit your rim and you can't peel the tire off the rim. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Peel the tire. I guess that isn't the range, is it? 
I'm looking for peeling the tire or hitting the rim or it just being like such a harsh ride, right? Yeah. Does that make sense, right? Um, and if you didn't hit your rim or peel your tire, you should probably go lower. But take notes. That's a very yes. good point. Like I would have notes on the conditions, what where I was, the course, and then the, the tires and the pressure I ran. Right. Yeah. Okay, let's let's quickly hit suspension setup. What are you what are you both doing? Oh man. I mean, I'm not as um like I do take notes on my suspension setup, but I don't fiddle with it as much. Uh I'm running a RockShox SID. I have a lockout, which I was using today. I use it all the time. Um so in the front and the rear, I just like twist lock and then push a button to release it. Um, and I have 120 travel in the front and the rear. And that's, I, that was a specific decision for this course. I mean, it's uh, a little bit more technical drops and uh, yeah. So I could have chosen a 100 or a 120. Perfect. Anything to add? I think Leah and I are similar again. I'm <laughs> probably Whoa. not the guy to ask about suspension. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think you get it set up well. And again, by riding it and, and playing with it a little bit to just try and find on similar terrain what works. I would say the rebound is something that I'll like mm. tweak just a little bit again because I could go between like a very like sandy spot and then someplace that's maybe like slower and clunkier so you could have higher and lower impacts. Um, but yeah, I think it's important. It's another spot now with technology now that we all do have these bigger suspension bikes especially that there's probably a lot of gains to be had there talking about leveling the playing field i think yeah. there's a lot of us out there who probably have suspension that's working against us a bunch of the time or yeah. not helping at all and we're now hauling you know a 30 pound bike or 25 pound bike yeah. that's got all this extra travel we're not using uh, so it's definitely something to look into and now there's so many suspension tuning companies and a lot of the shocks now will have things like the shock whiz and these little technology pieces that probably would help me as well i'll <laughs> say um but yeah i don't know the lockout is definitely but i think that shows our like xc race yes. mode yeah there are two things that you should pay attention to um with shocks like and they're simple so the o-ring is that like little red piece of rubber and put it down at the beginning of tomorrow's stage you know all the way to the bottom and then look where it is at the end and if it's at the top great like or if it's like this much space that's good you're using your suspension if it's not if it's like halfway you got to take some pressure out of your your suspension to to fully use the full thing and then for rebound i mean it's pretty simple but i like ride around um the parking lot like a flat area and i like stomp on my bike and is my shock and my fork like returning at the same rate so that's rebound. If it's not, then really funky things can happen when you're riding. So that's kind of how you can test like, okay, this is, I need to slow down my front or like speed up my rear a little bit. It should be returning at the same rate. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you all so much for hanging out. Thank you, Leah, for chatting again. Yeah. Thanks Always for having me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And we're clear. Thanks everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox. 